back to the Order in Progress podcast. I'm your host, Will Safford, and uh, I apologize. I was away there for a bit, but thank you for joining me again. This is the start of season two, where I'll be shifting the focus a bit. As I approach my 40s, my focus really has moved from performance on the mat to injury prevention and performance, what I like to call BJJ durability. So basically off the mat training with the goal of injury proofing my body so that I can stay on the mat longer. My best competition days are pretty much behind me, but I derive so much of my personal satisfaction just from being on the mat that I want to give my body the best chance of doing jujitsu for the long term. So that will be the focus of most of the episodes in season two. With that said, our first guest in season two is Mark Wildman. Mark is a celebrity trainer who works mainly with action heroes who perform stunts and fight scenes. He has developed a system of training to help actors look amazing for their role and also be able to withstand the demands of stunt work and long, grueling days on set. His YouTube channel is dedicated to explaining his methods, but to average people, people who use their bodies in their line of work. Think of farmers, construction workers, essentially the same things that help actors look great and prevent injuries is the same stuff that helps any human, be it a construction worker or a martial artist. Mark is also a lifelong martial artist and has practiced many different styles, including jiu-jitsu, kung fu, and weapons training. So there is a lot of great stuff in this episode that any martial artist can apply, and I personally have seen some great benefits in my jiu-jitsu by using his club bell and mace training methods. As always, check us out at seekprogress.com. We've got some great resources for you there, including a free injury prevention ebook. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at seek.progress. But without further ado, let's get into the latest episode of the Order in Progress podcast with Mark Wildman. All right, we are back today with Mark Wildman. Mark, thank you for uh, joining us today. Thank you, sir, for having me. So uh, for people who don't know you, little intro, you are a, I mean, you, you really got your name as a celebrity trainer. You've worked with some of the biggest names in Hollywood, mostly action actors, superheroes, and um, you have a very successful YouTube channel, but uh, you really train. I, I feel like your, your YouTube channel is mostly teaching average Joes how to use their bodies functionally. Would you say that's right? Absolutely. 100% correct. I've worked with super rich people all over the world, traveled the world, been paid to travel the world for years at a time with people. I'm really most interested at this point in my life of helping the people like me who grew up on dirt roads with no money uh, and telling those people how to, or helping those people learn how to uh, be healthy in the way that they always wanted to be. I grew up in the middle of nowhere. I had Batman comic books and James Bond movies, and I wanted to be able to do that kind of stuff. And there's nobody who even to this day is really talking to what I consider normal people, workmen, Mm -hmm. blue collar workers, farmers, carpenters, and giving them a path to pain-free health and fitness over the long term with economic considerations taken into effect. Um, There's a lot of awesome training out there that uses hyper expensive equipment and requires you to travel someplace to do it. And I would like to do the opposite of that. I want people to train in barns. I want them to walk directly outside of their front door with a durable piece of equipment that can sit in the barn for five years and never go bad. And I want people to learn how to use those things in a brief period of time 
to not be in pain. I've been in pain. I was a roofer. I was a farm boy. I've been kicked by horses, thrown off horses, fallen off of roofs. I think I worked for three months once with a broken foot. You know, I would prefer to talk to just normal people at this point. I can talk to rich people. It's just less fun overall. Okay. But, um, but what's interesting is that when you are training average people, it's really the same stuff that you would use with uh, an actor who has to be on set for 14 hours or a jujitsu martial artist, right? They're almost exactly the same. Uh, When you travel around the world with hyper rich people and they have a 14 hour work day, and that means three hours before that is when you really start, you're really looking at like 17 hour days. Um, Hmm. You have to be able to travel from wherever you're at to where you're going, you have two hours maybe, but that time variation is different every day on how much time you actually have to work with somebody. And I specialize in the stuff that can go in the back of that transport vehicle so that you can train in the rain outside of a Scottish castle for the 33 minutes that production allows somebody to have before they have to go into hair and makeup to start their shooting day. Um, And those, those are almost exactly the same concerns as blue collar workers. When I was a roofer in the summer, you were up at maybe 4, 4.30 and you were on site by 6.30 as the sun popped up and you did not stop until the sun was almost down. It was 12 to 13 hours every day. So you have a very small period of time. You could maybe fit in 20 minutes of wake up in the morning in order to make sure your body functions properly so that you don't die. And then the same thing is true of like working with BJJ athletes. BJJ athletes are under an incredible amount of impact stress every day. And if they want to be better at BJJ, then they need to be better at doing BJJ. That means they have to practice BJJ and all the athletic training they do around that should support that. But it needs to be that 30 minutes before or after you step on the mat for your one to two hours of training. So you can't really write these long incredibly two hour long programs that some people write for these athletes, because those athletes simply do not have that much time and they will try to do that. And then they will fall out of training because they don't have the time and then they're, they don't get to their goals. So we're trying to solve all these problems in an engineering equation of time, money and resource management in order to help people get the most out of their sport or their job or their film activity or whatever without dying or breaking the bank. Got it. So you use a lot of unconventional tools, you know, you use kettlebells, you use maces, but the one thing I think you are known for the most is probably the club bells and why, why clubs and why would those be useful for a jujitsu practitioner? Okay. Um, So we're taught, we have three things that I teach a lot is I consider the core things, the kettlebell, the club, and the mace. Think of the kettlebell as an intermediate to heavyweight for most people with a lower level of complexity. If you want to compare this with barbell, barbell is the absolute heaviest with the least amount of complexity. Kettlebell is one step up from that. Pardon me, drinking that morning coffee. Heavy club is lighter than a kettlebell with more complexity. And mace is a very light thing with the highest level of complexity. Club has enough weight to give people a very good athletic response and enough complexity to match with every sport on the planet in the least amount of time. 
So the problem with something like MACE is that MACE is light, but it's infinitely complex. You tend to need a lot more time in order to get the same type of response that you would get from clubbing. Kettlebells, you can get a higher heart rate, but you can't get the same level of rotation and leverage control that you can get from a club. Wrestling is weight plus leverage control. People have been doing heavy club training for versions of wrestling for all of recorded human history. So we want to emphasize that. So I like to have really tight time management programs for BJJ athletes. Think program that's 20 minutes long. There's a warm up and a cool down on each side, but there's 20 minutes of work in there. We focus on the basic movement patterns of rotating about our central axis, which is the origin of all throwing patterns inside and outside. So there's actually four rotations, uh, like right hand inside towards center line, right hand outside, left hand inside, left hand outside. Those are actually the four basic standing rotations and people tend to be good at one of them dominant hand inside, which for 90% of the population is right hand. So people have a direction that their body doesn't turn very well under load. So by doing heavy clubs, we can balance out those rotations equally on all sides so that when somebody puts you in a horrible position in BJJ and tries to rip your spine out, your spine works equally well on both sides so that they, there's not a bad side. Like a lot of uh, martial artists will attack the bad side of somebody yeah. because yeah. you can see them training. So you're like, he doesn't rotate that way well. So in their game plan, they can decide which way they're going to attack and they can design their strategy to attack that heavy clubs just gives us our basic movement patterns, balancing everything out first and then ramping up in weight. So I tend to start people, uh, gentlemen tend to start with a 15 pound club. And the goal is to get them to a 50 pound club, for the basic 20 minute program that we do. Mm -hmm. um, if they get to that, then it does everything else that they do it's fine. They could bench, they could do push-ups, they could do dips, they could do pull-ups, but their rotation each way will be extraordinarily good. And then that offset center of mass allows people to be better at picking up odd objects like other people who are fighting back and manipulating them without ripping your spine out of the socket. Man, um, you, um, you, you said, you know, balancing out both sides of rotation, but I think a lot of the programs that I see online just don't even include any rotation whatsoever. So and this is the shock to me as a trainer <laughs> that the, the thing that's most likely to hurt people is rotation Yeah, and being better at it is the, the fastest way to make anybody more athletic in a short period of time and not just rotation rotation with a lever because there's med ball rotation yes. and there's all these other things. And if you are not good at rotating one way, your body will compensate and use a different joint structure. Yes. And you will end up rotating two different ways on two different sides of your body. We're just trying to balance that out. And the lever of the club forces you to be honest. If one side is good, you will catch it and balance it easily. If one side is bad, it will be very, very hard. And you the club will encourage you. Am I saying that right? Yes. The club will encourage you to have better position on your bad side. It's almost like self there's no way out of way. It is. It's self-correcting. Right. If we set up the program, we start with a lightweight, we run it, uh, 
you know, four to six times per weight for more intermediate to advanced athletes with three levels of complexity. There's a much longer version of this program. I'm talking about our program, the mill squat program for uh, strong, strong, and fit. That's right. strong and fit. Like that is the absolute minimum program that we talk about. There are 15 moves in it. There's a long version of that program, which I just haven't gotten around to finishing yet because it's so much work to finish it. But seven levels of complexity times eight, 56 types of rotation mm-hmm. as opposed to 15. And so therefore you have years of training. People can do it twice a week. They start with 15. They go up through the weights until they get to a 50. The minimum jump is say, or the recommended jump is five pounds uh, between weights. But if you can get it down to two and a half, the result gets even better. People get really, really good at standing basic rotation, which is the origin of striking power, which is the origin of jujitsu throwing power, which is the origin of ground grappling power. So we can just, it's a simple problem to solve. And I don't know why nobody else is solving it. Um, I see a lot of programs out there that are full of good ideas and then they leave out the rotation part. And you're like, well, that's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's been a game changer for me. Um, I started, I, so I got the, uh, the club. So you, you had ADEX send me a club. Actually it's called the arc. It's, um, basically in between a club and a mace. And, um, I started that last fall. So it was like last September. So I've only been actually swinging clubs or maces for like eight months or so, but man, it is absolute game changer. Like just the connection to my core, alone under feeling the different parts of my core that I haven't actually felt before. Like so many of us just think that the core is like the front, right. Or maybe even just the sides of the back, but it is this entire integrated unit that when you start swinging the heavy clubs with the mills and the inside circles, outside circles, man, it just lights this whole thing up that I feel like a it's, it's fortifying my lower back. It's fortifying my core. It's protecting my core. It's also the transition to other movements. Like when you have that connection to your core, when I do pull-ups, my pull-ups are like have exploded because I can just tighten up the entire core and transfer all that, that strength and and tension when I'm doing pull-ups, when I'm doing anything, squats, lunges, absolutely anything. It's been an absolute game changer, man. Yeah. I love uh, the heavy club version of a squat. Like a lot of Olympic guys will look at it and they're used to squatting 400 pounds. They're like, Oh, it's only a 50 pound club. And you're like, yeah, but the positioning is totally different. The position is that front loaded. Your shoulders have to be in the right spot. Your arms have to be in the right spot and you get super duper duper low, which is ideal for BJJ athletes like yourself, because that's the squat you end up in. You end up in that rock bottom, ultra low position and you'll see people who practice uh, the club squats eventually be able to, able to squat all the way down, touch their tailbone to the ground, and then rock back up, which is the exact core firing that you want in your squat um, for when you're under load, when you're being taken down, when you have somebody in front of you. That front loading of everything is what really was a game changer for me because I converted as well from conventional fitness training, was a normal trainer. Uh-huh. And we all thought that we were strong, but we all got hurt all the time. You yes. know, everybody yeah. had a bicep injury. Everybody had a front shoulder injury. Everybody had a back injury. Yeah. Everybody. And you started doing clubs and you were like, Oh my God, I feel a million times better. I'm in way less pain. I'm lifting less weight overall, but I'm stronger. 
yes. in everything that I do, which seems counterintuitive to people. But yeah. if you took heavy club swinging and you were to combine it with Olympic lifting, or you were to combine it with kettlebell training, or combine it with anything, you can combine it with, you know, sandbag training, med ball training, it wouldn't matter. Right. It would average itself out to being overall a better program. The other thing that really kind of revealed itself with the, um, with the, with the club or the mace is the thoracic mobility, the, the thoracic spine and the shoulder mobility, which I mean, like that is sports, right? So basically thoracic shoulder and core that is like, and rotation that is sports, but specifically for jujitsu. I mean, how many guys have shoulder injuries, you know, are locked up in the, in the thoracics because you're constantly in this like flex hunched over kyphotic position. Right. So it's just all these little things, even my elbows, my elbows feel better for some reason after using the club. So all that it's the introduction of rotation in the elbow, everybody talks about elbows, but if you're doing a bicep curl, that is not the type of movement that's real. It really needs that rotation in the elbow under load by adding a lever to that Mm. could be mace, could be club. Your elbows will kind of on accident fix most of the stuff that's wrong with them from hyperextending the living. We don't swear on this podcast. I'm sure Uh, (laughs) by hyperextending the crap out of it. You know, the funny thing about martial artists is you're fighting the force of somebody who's trying to rip your body in half. Yeah. So when you train, you want to have a controlled version of something trying to rip you in half that you can control the load long enough for your body to adapt to it and to fix all those little micro tears and everything else in your body. Yeah. So nobody likes starting with a 15 because everybody's super strong and they're badass and everything, but everybody's got one weak joint. If you're a combat athlete, you've got seven. And so you need to start with those lightweights and then let them all heal up over time and become equally strong with one weight and then go up in weight and let them become equally strong again to that level of traction and torsion in the joints. That's the thing about the lever that other things don't have, like slam ball doesn't have or med ball doesn't have the traction, the rotating traction of controlling the lever. It's a different type of physics on the body, but it is the type of physics that the body is subjected to in wrestling or in weapons use. I do a lot of weapon stuff. Uh-huh. And I, I still, I talk about this all the time. I was working on a movie in Scotland and uh, we're not even using real swords, you know, fake swords. Think of a real sword as being about two, two and a half pounds. These fake swords so that nobody dies are half, a, you know, half a pound to one pound. Okay. And guy comes in and I was like, so I'm the trainer on this movie. And I was like, so have you done any of the recommended rotation work? He's like, I'm a power lifter. I don't need that. And I was like, cool. He's like, I got 400 pound dead and I'm, you know, 160 pounds. I'm going to smoke this. And I was like, awesome. Cool. Day one went, tried to rotate his elbow with that length of lever and his elbow popped on because he was not used to controlling rotated deceleration of the joints, shoulder, wrist, and elbow. Right. And we spent the rest of the movie working on that guy to keep him from getting fired you know, because if they find out he's hurt on day one, they're just going to replace him. So we're right. like, oh, crap. So now all of a sudden, now we got to do all this therapy work as well. 
we're know? all doing all, you know, man, that's what's, that's one of the biggest things that I, that I love about using the, uh, the club I'm 36 now, you know, I'm getting, I'm feeling it right. I'm feeling, I don't recover as well. I, the jujitsu is getting harder on my body. I love the fact that you can get the performance benefits and the injury prevention benefits all in one workout. Like to me, that's the best use of your time. And in a short period of time, you could do the same thing almost with like an hour and a half of physical therapy with bands and all these other exercises, but it's simply not time efficient, right? You're not, you're also not going to get the cardio benefits, low level cardio benefits that you get from heavy club swinging. It's just, if there's a more efficient time management way to accomplish the task, I would love to see it because I can't think of it. You know, 5,000 years of human history, people keep coming up with this exact same solution over and over and over again because it is the best possible solution. But you also, you're not dogmatic about just using the club, right? Like you are open to like, so on strong and fit, you have a kettlebell program, you have a, uh, the clubbell program that we're referring to, but you use all sorts of tools, right? Yeah. I just try to use the best tool for whatever the job is at the time. I primarily teach people first heavy club. There's single hand and two hand versions of that. I don't think you've done the single arm version of that yet. No, Uh, it's huge. It's like three years long for the short version of it. Um, And kettlebells. So think about kettlebells being simpler movement patterns with a heavier weight with a higher heart rate. Mm -hmm. And then the clubs being a more complex movement pattern with way more rotation that ends up having a lower heart rate because of the amount of weight used. So you can easily, just by doing two days of kettlebells and two days of clubs a week, you get two days that are high heart rate. You get two days that are medium heart rate. You work on all these absolutely basic fundamental human movement patterns, and then you shove them into something like BJJ, which is complete uncontrolled heart rate chaos where somebody's trying to murder you the entire time, and it tends to work out. Um, But you can use whatever equipment you want. I'm very big into finding a way to use things in the fastest, cheapest way. So something that's really good that I love is like sandbag. Sandbag is cheap. Sandbags used to be expensive, but now they're cheap. You know, you can get sandbags on Amazon. You can fill them up with, uh, what do they call that? The sand that you buy in the Midwest. It goes in the back of your truck in the winter. Um, it's got a specific name, but it's six bucks for 60 pounds, you know? And so suddenly you have, a super cheap solution. Now it comes down to the training. How do I make this training the best in the shortest period of time? Um, I like slam balls because slam balls mimic like old school lifting techniques of like stone lifting techniques, but Mm -hmm. without destroying the world around you. If you do lift stones and drop them, they tend to destroy everything around you. And most people don't have access to that big of stone and they're uncontrolled. So we're trying to take all these traditional ideas and turn them back into science and make them controlled through load and by rep count. And, you know, everything I do is psychoscience. I mean, at some point, people should definitely train with somebody who's not me for some type of unregulated activity, but only if they're strong enough to survive it. But I love mace. I love hydrocore. I love... Shout All out to Maurizio, the, uh, the creator, our close friend, Maurizio Tengari, who invented the hydrocore. It's a great idea. It's packable. You know, you've got a four pound thing that you can do a ton of stuff with in a limited period of time. Same idea. Right. It helps you work your rotation. If you're traveling a lot, like I do, 
and you don't have access to all kinds of fancy gym equipment, you can bust out the hydro core for 20 minutes in the morning and do all the rotations of your spine, which is the thing that always gets messed up traveling mm-hmm. and just have it all done. So I love all these different types of equipment. There are equi- pieces of equipment that I don't have a big love for like battle ropes mm. um, because they're, they can't, you can't transport them. Mm. Right. They're expensive and they require a lot of space. Right. Do people write some amazing training for them? Yes. But do they meet the requirements that I'm trying to meet? Less so. Got it. Um, sandbags you can empty out and throw in your bag and drag to another country. And when you show up, fill them up with rocks that you find at the end of a dirt road. Or like I I used to have a bunch of sandbags and I was working at Warner Brothers outside of London. And I would go to the back to the grounds guys and just shovel them full of sand and then carry them all the way back half a mile to the studio and leave them outside the door of the studio or the, the set door. They have these giant warehouses that are like three football fields big and their sets inside. And when the actors come out, they just pick them up three times and drop them and then go back to their trailer. Hmm. No. So it's, like, it's funny, man. Sometimes we overcomplicate things, but really it's just the basics that that is the stuff that you need. Um, now I have a question for you. So we, we went to the uh, BJJ fanatics uh, grand prix last fall. It was down in San Diego. It was a, it was a no geese submission only tournament. And um, so we were watching jujitsu there and I know you don't train jujitsu that regularly, but after watching that, what do you think are like some of the most important qualities that a jujitsu practitioner needs? You know, what should they be doing aside from maybe the club and, and some of the rotation that we talked about? Half kneeling lifting. I wrote a whole program for this too. It's called my slam ball program. Okay. And I did it after watching that tournament because I was more of a traditional Japanese jujitsu guy, which had eight techniques. So ground waza went off into BJJ as I understand it. So they took the ground waza and they expanded it into BJJ, which has become insanely complicated and super badass. Uh Um, But I was more originally of a standing guy, which is more of the stuff that was linked originally to judo and all these other things. So everything I did started from standing after watching that tournament, I was like, wow, we need to be incredibly good at uh, lifting from the half kneeling position, which means one leg forward, one leg back, which is an intermediate position between everything else as I see it in BJJ. So I wrote a whole slam ball program about this with like five levels and five moves, each level standing. And then about half of the whole program is just half kneeling one knee on the ground, learning to lift from there because it puts your core in once again, a whole different position, one leg forward, one leg back. Now only one glute can fire. Now you're firing across from one lat to one glute. I think that that's incredibly important. And I think transitioning that into your seated position, what we call shin box. I don't know if you guys call it shin box, but it's a wrestling. It's that's how I learned it is seated, holding something in front of you and then transitioning your hips between all these various types of getups that you guys do in BJJ. Almost like um, the, um, they call it, I think the 90, 90 position, right? Where the, yeah, the it's the 90, okay. 90 position for you guys. But so you have sitting straight up, rotating left to 90, 90, sitting straight up, rotating right to 90, 90. If you load that, like there are kettlebell versions of that. The slam ball version is crazy because you end up in a hug position, mm-hmm. which is an entirely different form of core firing than say a kettlebell rack position. 
And you can even do that training with clubs, but it gets really interesting for most people because it's a different type of grip than BJJ, but they all link together. So I would think half kneeling position, transition into, uh, we used to call it a shin box roll to stand up. I don't know what you guys call it, but think about going from 90, 90 threading one leg underneath driving forward into half kneeling position and then standing up from there. That and is doing like, that both up and down under load, I think is incredibly useful for you guys. Cause it's all the hip yeah. gnarliness that is BJJ. And if you did it slowly and you can do it progressively with load, I think people would adapt their hips and their lower backs much better to BJJ. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that, that technique that you just described right there, I mean, that is a jujitsu technique. Like, um, it's uh, like a hip heist or, you know, we use that co- all the time. If you're coming up from your back to get onto a single leg to just to go for a takedown or you're trying to do a sweep, uh, that that particular movement is used in X guard sweeps, half guard. I mean, it's it's all it shows itself all over the place. So you basically think that if you load this and you are engaging the core with a front loaded type of a weight, you're going to really tighten up the, you're going to strengthen your core, strengthen all those little muscles in the hip rotators. And and you're going to introduce a loaded level of stretch in there so that when you're moving faster, um, you're not going to thrash it. So like I would do all those with like a two second pause at each position Mm-hmm. so that your body would learn to settle and relax into it because everybody's going to have a good side where they're going to go right through it. On the other side, they're going to try and hitch and get around something that doesn't work. Um, Got it. I'm just old and I want to make everything work equally because I think balance is the only way I'm going to stay alive long enough to like, you know, do stuff in my life. Uh, I've just been hurt so many times and I know what asymmetry can do to you. Yeah. If you let asymmetry sit in your body, it's just a, it's a ticking time bomb. You are going to break. Not now, maybe in five years, but when you break, it's going to be a horrific break and it's going to ruin the rest of your life. Man, so I'm trying to encourage people to do that, like athletic prep and balance at the same time yes. so that we can all just not die in pain. Man, that's a really interesting point that you make there because so much of jujitsu is asymmetrical and everyone develops what we call an A game, right? It's your best stuff. And typically your best stuff is on one side of your body, right? You like to play guard from one hip. You like to pass to one side and doing that, you know, rep after yet rep year after year, you're going to develop these asymmetries. And then all of a sudden you get put in a compromised position and that asymmetry is exposed. And that's when you got the big injury. Yeah. So we can just avoid that. You can, when you're (laughs) in the game, if you're in the game, then sure have a good side, but in training favor, the bad side, a, you'll learn a lot. I used to be a circus aerial artist and People hated me because I would analyze all people's tricks on the bad side. And I Mm. did everything equally well on both sides. Mm. And they'd be like, yeah, but you're just not very good on your good side. And I was like, yeah, but I'm going to stay alive longer than all of you guys. There's nothing funnier than asking a professional circus performer who's like, I don't understand why you can't understand that you're so stupid. And me being like, if you're so good at it, do it on the other side. And they have no clue how to do their own trick on the other side. And you're like, I can do your trick on the other side. (laughs) 
Man, it's it's that's just that translates so well to jujitsu, man. Because I mean, there is, I'll admit it, there's things that I can't do nearly as well on one side. Um, and it's actually a strategy in the gym and in competition to attack the opponent's weaker side, right? Like pass to his yeah. weak side, and it's just gonna make your life a lot easier. Yeah, it's gonna make everything easier. So I I love how people have a well-defined game in BJJ and it's so much like chess, but preparing for the other guy to attack your weakest point, I think is probably a better long-term strategy goal. It might not be an immediate, you're going to win. What is it? ACC this year or whatever goal Mm -hmm. ADCC, but you're going to survive better in the longer term with less pain. And that is overall going to allow you to be better longer. And what's um, cool about what you're saying is that we can train some of these asymmetries without actually being in the gym on the mat. We can shore up some of these weak points with medicine balls. Oh, and 100%. Clubs. Yeah. 100%. Cool. Like and it's, it's a less stress because BJJ is all stress all the time. It's all super high heart rate. You know, the guys who are really good learn to relax, but for the most part, somebody's actively trying to rip your body in half. Um, they're not agreeing with you at all. So you have to not agree back. And that puts a lot of load on the body. So having these other things where you can control the rotation and you can control the output of load, I think is, you know, the key to staying alive, but that's just me. Man. I I remember, um, last summer, uh, we did a workout, a single kettlebell workout, Um, and I think you set a clock for like 20 minutes and the goal was to not put the kettlebell down for 20 minutes. And it was incredible. I don't, I think you're in your mid forties or early forties. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm up there, (laughs) but you, man, you move incredibly well for some better than I do. And I'm younger than you. And, and so with that said, um, you know, I, I really want to be able to do jujitsu well into my later years in life. Right. So yeah, 60s, 70s for sure. So what would you, um, what else do you do? I, I know you do a lot of mobility training, but what else do you do to keep that movement that you have? I, I literally, I used to do what was called like kettlebell hard style. Right. And we all grew up with kettlebell hard style. If you were like super into training, it was heavyweights for extremely brief periods of time. And in the last couple of years, I started to link this idea to traditional Kung Fu In traditional Kung Fu. They have like the young people fist, as you might think of it, where they train these giant explosive movements with huge power for brief periods of time. Mm -hmm. And then over time, what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to learn to make everything more efficient and put out less energy for the same output. And then hard style Kung Fu arts and hard style karate arts. They don't really do it in Japan because they're psychos, Uh, but they're supposed to lend into what are called soft style arts, where the goal is for you to not get hit and to be as efficient as possible. And I was thinking about that and I was like, what if I just didn't put the kettlebell down, but I maintained the level of complexity that I was doing in an effort to force myself to figure out how to get more efficient. Uh, and so I started taking those hard style ideas, which are heavyweights, short bursts of power, create maximum power. And I was like, what if we tried to have that what soft power in, uh, Asian martial arts, you would call it, it would be like Tai Chi, which has a terrible name because nobody trains it correctly in the Western world anymore. 
Hmm. Um, Bagua also has a pretty bad rap because nobody remembers what any of the moves mean. And Jing Yi, which is still kind of terrifying because those guys have maintained the terrifying nature of their martial art. Um, and take that idea from hard style kettlebelling and convert it into a soft style kettlebelling, but doing it, maintaining the level of complexity. So just trying to get to 30 minutes to an hour with an intermediate to lightweight where you don't put it down and you just stack up complexity over and over and over again into what I consider to be the most basic levels of complexity. You know, lots of half kneeling press, half kneeling side press, all these positions that you would end up in in martial arts, but never allowing yourself to put the weight on the ground. If it touches the ground, you're done. So you just learn to never put it down and convert back and forth between all these movements. And you go back to using a light to intermediate weight. But I think that workout that we did was 24 K and yep. 20 minutes. It wasn't bad. You know, I, the goal, I cause I, I'd, I'd gotten up to like 60 minutes with a 24. So I had to put it down I, and I was using a 35 pounder. You were using the 24 pounder and you kept it going or a 24 kilo. And uh, you kept it going for 20 minutes. So that's why I was like, man, this is, this is incredible. And that whole principle of becoming more efficient using less energy. I mean, that is jujitsu jujitsu. Yeah. So you guys have these psychotic 20 minute rounds. <laughs> you guys have these psychotic 20 minute long matches. Yeah. So I'm like, you're not going to, you're not going to get through it on pure power. You would be awesome to have that pure power right out of the gate. Um, but then you got to figure out how to survive yeah. for 20 minutes. Especially you know, and that is the advanced BJJ game. As far as I understand it from you and watching these guys compete, I'm like, my God, that's a long period of time to be under load. Oh no, there's, I mean, there's a well-known strategy at the advanced level where some of these longer, you know, 20 minute, no time limit matches, even 10 minutes where you basically are cooking the guy you are, you are trying to tire him out so that you can just use, you know, very little, uh, strength or power and just use your technique and he can't, he's so tired from, from get from using so much energy in the first half of the match that you can easily beat him. Um, and I think as you get older, you know, it's when you're young, you want, it's, it's easy to use your energy. You got tons of it, you know, you're very explosive and stuff, but as you get older, you have to be, you have to train smarter. You have to use let you want to use more technique and you don't want to use as much strength in order to just even get through the class. Yeah. So, yeah, so I am super into surviving classes now. I just want to get through them. I want to survive and I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose a shoulder to some 25 year old guy anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I am super into figuring out how to escape if I can get away with it and burn as little energy as possible. Um, oh, but that's, that's it's, I'm old now, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm right behind you. Um, with that said, how, how much time do you dedicate to mobility training? Uh, I try to put in 12 minutes a day and it gets super annoying. Like mobility training is the most annoying thing in all <laughs> of human history. Like it is the worst phase of training every day. So I try to get it out of, out of the way in the beginning. Yeah. And I do a bunch of different versions of mobility training. There is like open chain mobility training, which is standing where you would move your arm through an undefined path. That's open chain. Okay. Then there are the closed chain versions of that, where you would say, put an arm on the ground and you would move your shoulder, but the, the, you know, the chain would be closed because your hand would be on the ground. Got it. Um, and then there's like mace mobility, club mobility, hydro core mobility, 
there's all these other versions of mobility that I try to sneak in there just to keep yourself from becoming suicidally annoyed at how much mobility training can suck. Yeah. Um, mobility training used to be built into every martial arts class and I don't see it built in anymore. When I did Kung Fu in Koreatown, uh, with the old 70 year old master underneath a, you know, Buddhist temple, the first 45 minutes were really mobility training, but you, they, nobody ever told you that they told you it was the basics, the tantways, the most fundamental exercises. And so what a lot of traditional martial arts have done is hide mobility training inside basic warm-up exercises. Um, but oftentimes in the modern world, people forget like what the point of it was. The point of it was to make sure everything was turned on and that your joints were working properly and they turn it into a workout. They turn it into its own workout and it stops being mobility and it starts being, uh, what should be the second phase of class, which is that pure athletic preparation. Um, so it gets kind of destroyed. Uh, but I did mobility for years that way. And it's great when you're in a group setting and somebody else is making you do it and you're in time with everybody else. Hmm. But I, I, I haven't seen a BJJ class that has mobility in it anymore yeah. because of the time restriction. It's an hour long class. It's not 90 minutes. Yeah. If it was 90 minutes, then the first 30 minutes would be all of your 90, 90 hip mobility, your spinal rocks, your spinal rocks into your near side, shoulder rolls, near side, shoulder rolls, standing shoulder roll, left, right, alternating sides, rear rolls. Like all that stuff that you used to do in Japanese jujitsu has been cut for time. So you can have a five o'clock class, six o'clock class, seven o'clock class, an eight o'clock class Got instead it. of these weird offset time things. So people don't do it anymore is kind of the point of that. Uh, so I try to shove in 12 minutes a day. Um, and I wrote a program for you guys. that was like that. It was like six days a week. They're the same families of movement in 12 minutes. You can hit the most important things, which are the neck, the shoulders, the spine and the hips. Yep. And then you kind of ha- leave faith that your wrists and elbows will work themselves out. If you're doing your heavy club training or your kettlebell training, um, it becomes that engineering equation. How much time are you going to put into this thing? And I think 12 minutes is about the max that people will reliably put into mobility. You know, everybody gets into that mobility training where they do two hours of it a day and it lasts a month and everybody fucking yeah. quits because nobody has two hours a day to do that shit. Yeah, that's that's 12 minutes is not too much of an ask. And it actually is a great way to start your day. You feel better. You know, it's 12 minutes is uh, you can listen to a little morning news while you're doing it or something. And then yeah. you're good to go. So and, I, you know, I like to check in on my neck. Like I've been hit a lot. I used to do aerial all the time. You know, if you do a really hard aerial session, you're doing like a lot of drops. Mm. then it's all shock load on the neck. And then if you go and you're doing martial arts or like working with stunt people or something, and they're doing, you know, what are they doing? They're doing falls for two yeah. hours, right? Cause that's yep. what the big thing is now falling down on camera looks dope. So people get really good at falling down and they come up with more inventive ways to throw people. I like that 12 minute check-in before I leave the house, just so I know if my head is turning right today or not. Yeah. You know, absolutely, uh, man. And I can be like, okay, I need to work on that before I do whatever else that I I have to do this day. But this is my first like, oh, I can't go this way at all today. Let's work it real slow. Let's let's do the other ones. We'll come back to it before somebody throws me through a window or something, you know. Got it. So, uh, again, all these programs are on strongandfit.com. You've got the kettlebell club and the mobility program. Final question I ask everybody. Are there any supplements that you take or that you like um, that could be beneficial to uh, some of the listeners out there? 
Uh, I'm not a big supplement guy. I probably should be at my age, but uh, the one thing I do know works very well is chondroitin joint support. Okay. And you know that because if you feed it to horses, horses get better and horses are immune to the, what's, what's the effect? The fake. Oh, the placebo. The placebo effect. Horses are immune to the placebo effect because they don't know that you're feeding it to them. So chondroitin and joint support, a uh, chondroitin, chondroitin, I'm saying this word wrong. Glucosamine. Uh, joint support. Yeah. yeah. That works on horses. So I think that that's probably a good idea. I tend not to carry it around with me. I steal it out of the horse barn when I'm at home. Um, and the other thing that I do when I travel so much is I just get the 30 gram protein shakes. Uh-huh. You know, you get them at Walmart, you get them at CVS, you get them wherever, because I'm traveling so much. Your quality of food is so dip- very widely. Yes. I've never been a big supporter of uh, protein shakes or anything. But now, as I travel so much more than I was even years ago, I throw those in every day because you're going to sneak in something good. Got it. And try and balance yourself out. So I'm not really a big subs guy, but I wish I was. I wish I had time to think about it more. Mostly I'm just trying to eat steak and broccoli and stay alive. Right on, man. Well, uh, well, hey, thank you so much for your time. This was really, really uh, a lot of information. I think uh, a lot of people can get a lot of benefit out of it. But um, where would or should people check you out? Where can they find you? Uh, Mark Wildman on YouTube. There's like... 800 videos of just nerdy talk about programming and weighing it into different types of ideas and how to combine weird shit. And then there's, you know, hundreds of technique videos because I wish somebody had told me how to do things properly when I was young. Mm -hmm. So I just like here world have this stuff. Um, Perhaps somebody will learn something in their life will get better. Um, and I have a website, wildmanathletica.com, and there's like a programs page on there, and you can go on there and get programs, you know, Sweet, support man. the nerdiness or whatever. All right. Cool. Well, hey, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it, and uh, we should do it again soon. Yeah, I still got those Hyperfly geese that I bought last year, and I haven't been to a place with a BJJ school. I'm just carrying them around with me, and I never get to them. So I got to come out to uh, – what's that gym that you were working on for Santa Monica? Oh, Meraki Jiu-Jitsu on Santa Monica, yeah. Meraki Jiu-Jitsu. I got to get my ass someplace with a Jiu-Jitsu school, but that's what I'm going to try and hit. Absolutely, man. Well, next time, once the, I got a torn meniscus right now, but once his knee is healed up, we will put those geese to use and all this training as well. Yeah, let's do it, bud. I love it. Train, train, train. Always right. fun. Thank you, man. All right, there you go, guys. Another great episode. Thank you, Mark, for being on the show. You guys can follow him on Instagram at Mark Wildman. But really, the best place to find all of his information is on his YouTube channel. Just look up Mark Wildman or Wildman Athletica. His website is wildmanathletica.com. And he's got a ton of amazing free content that uh, you guys can spend hours just gleaning great information from. And uh, as always, check us out at seekprogress.com and on Instagram at seek.progress. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.